Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Edison and Dr. M. Denton. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I am Josh Edison, lying low in Auckland, New Zealand, and in or about Zhuhai, China, we have Dr. M. Dentith. I was going to say that I'm living large, but actually I'm just living averagely in Zhuhai. Mm. I'm not doing anything particularly exciting. I'm not doing anything particularly unexciting. I'm living the false equivalence of doing nothing and everything at the same time. Mm. Whereas I uh, continue to be locked down and will be for another week and a bit yet, most likely. And ah, but that's mostly because of your sexual fetus rather than the, than COVID-19. No, it's most, mostly the COVID-19, to be perfectly honest, yeah. So, but the numbers are going down. That's what you want. They're, they're, they're the sort of the numbers, numbers that you want people down. people locking up in your sex dungeon or the number of people who are suffering from COVID-19, the Delta Look, it's variant? it's not my the fault community. they keep getting out, okay? I was sold a faulty locking mechanism, but that's beside the point. Numbers of COVID cases are, are, are trending downwards anyway. There's a bit of a spike up again yesterday, but then they're, they're down again today, and they're, they're lower than they were a few days ago, and that's, that's what you want to see, basically. Well, precisely. And I'm told potentially the spike yesterday was due to undercounting of the day prior. Well, yeah, po- quite quite possibly. But, um, so, so things are looking hopeful. Of course, the rest of the country is in, in level three lockdown. The only and eating a lot of takeaways. Basically, yeah. I, I mean, there, there, are, there are differing regulations between levels four and three, um, but the only one that anyone cares about is that under level three, you can get takeaways from fast food places. So, But at the moment... As a person on full level four lockdown, takeaway fast food is, is something I can only dream of. It's true. Or, or you can start doing that thing where you try to make takeaways at home. So you try mm, to make an equivalent yes, of KFC. Yes. You try to make yourself a killer burger. And then you realize that even though we kind of treat fast food as being this instantaneous pleasure that's just made hoi polloi behind the counter, there is an art to making a good burger and there is an art of deep frying fish in a flash fryer, which the average amongst us are just never going to be able to replicate. Yes, I don't think hoi polloi means what you think it means, but you're largely correct. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I can't be bothered myself. I'll just eat, I'll just eat boring old nutritious home cooked meals until the day comes when I can run to McDonald's and say, give me some grease with a bit of grease on it, please. Slap it straight in my gob. Josh, you are a soylent green person. Mm, I've never denied that. Anyway, we're, we're getting a little, little off topic already because this uh, is another edition of Conspiracy Theory Masterpiece Theatre and we're hearing from somebody new. Uh, do we want to introduce it here or, or play the chime first? And well, actually, so first of all, I do, I do want to state I am not convinced that this paper is either a classic or a masterpiece. So... If we were taking Conspiracy Masterpiece Theatre to be something which deals with the best papers, I'm, I'm not of the opinion this is one of the best papers from 2011. But it is an interesting paper. And I think it's interesting in a way which, because it's very flawed, it allows us to say some interesting things. I've used the word interesting now for too many times some Mm -hmm. things about the literature which are worth exploring, 
even though to a very large extent this paper never gets talked about ever again, apart from in potted literature reviews and say things like my book. Uh, and apart from right now. Well, that's also true. But this comes mm. after my book, unless things have got really timey-wimey between we st- are starting the recording and where we are now. Well, I mean, I wouldn't rule that out, but uh, maybe you better better just play that chime and we get into things as quickly as possible, just in case the, the, the very fabric of space and time dissolves uh, as we're recording. Ah, precisely. I can see dinosaur-shaped human beings wandering through my office, so we better get onto it right now. Welcome to Conspiracy Theory Masterpiece Theatre. I think it's possibly even worse than that. Those dinosaur-shaped human beings have gone human-shaped. It's The mutations are out of control. Oh, see, I thought you were going to say that, that dinosaur, dinosaur-shaped human being is, in fact, your mum. Uh, I think we've both done better your mum jabs than that, to be honest. It's true. It has been a long yeah. time since you've done a it your has... mother joke. Yeah, if we're going to, we should probably save up for a good one. Anyway, maybe that opportunity will arise this very episode, but not right now, because what right now we are doing is introducing the paper we're going to be talking about today, which is Counterfact Conspiracy Theories by Susan Feldman, published in the International Journal of Applied Philosophy in 2011. Now, now who is Susan Feldman? I have no idea. Is this her only... Only contribution to the literature? As far as I'm aware, I mean, she has written other things on conspiracy theory. Theory, I have not come across them. And given I kind of know the literature back to front, I'd be very surprised if there's any further work from her in the field. It's possible there are an awful lot of journals which aren't indexed by the standard search engine, so it is possible there is work out there which I'm completely unaware of. But at the same time, as far as I'm aware, this is Susan's only contribution to conspiracy theory theory. And yes, I think think despite the fact that you may have overused it already, the word interesting um, is a good descriptor of the way. But as is short, short and to the point, which is is how I like these papers. Um, So I guess we might as well just get straight into it. Uh, It's it's one of those papers that has a good old abstract, which um, always always takes the work out of exactly how to introduce it. Uh, You can just read out what it says, and I'm going to do that right now. Recent philosophical treatment of conspiracy theories supposes them all to be explanatory, thus overlooking those conspiracy theories whose major purpose is the assertion of hidden facts rather than the explanation of accepted facts. I call this variety of non-explanatory conspiracy theories counterfact theories. In this paper, through the use of examples, including the Obama birth certificate conspiracy theory, I uncover the distinctive reasoning pattern and dialectical strategy of counterfact theories, highlighting their epistemic flaws. Uh, first interesting thing, the Obama birtherism. Um, yeah, a topic which was really, really big and then just completely disappeared. Which is actually well, kind of fascinating. Well, disappear, but, but did fizzle, fizzle away, yeah. Well, no, I mean, to my mind, it's fascinating for the sheer fact that it was kind of an attack vector being used by Repub- Republicans against Obama, often being laundered through third-party, at-the-time candidates like Donald J. Trump. And it disappeared in the way that attacks against the Clintons didn't. So to a large extent, when you start looking at Republican rhetoric, about the problems with the Democratic Party, 
most of them are still focused on Bill Clinton's time as Premier of the United States of America, with Obama kind of being the hidden Clinton candidate that, you know, he was really just a Clinton in disguise. The Republicans are so focused on the Clinton years that birtherism has kind of disappeared with the her emails and thus the extension his tenure being kind of the major attack vector for Republicans even to this day. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is true that that certainly once Obama was out of office, nobody really seemed to care about his birth certificate anymore. And yet people still make references to Hillary Clinton, even though she lost to Donald Trump like five years ago now. Um, but but anyway, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll get into the birtherism as we go through this paper. But um, it starts off uh, as many of these papers do, and as all good philosophical papers should do, I think, with a bit of definition. Um, so at the very, it starts at the very beginning. In this paper, I highlight and explore a subgroup of conspiracy theories, which I call counterfact conspiracy theories, or CFCTs. Like all conspiracy theories, counterfact theories assert the existence of a conspiracy. Unlike most conspiracy theories examined by philosophers and social scientists, the assertion of a conspiracy is not provided as an explanation of historical events. The distinctive feature of counterfact theories is their assertion of counterfacts, claims of fact which run contrary to accepted factual claims and their evidence. And then we get into the old, the, the good old what's, what's a conspiracy theory and um, goes straight into Brian L. Keeley's definition. Uh, a proposed explanation of some historical event or events in terms of the significant causal agency of a relatively small group of persons, the conspirators, acting in secret. Um, and then we take a swing pretty much straight away into David Cody territory um, when when she starts saying, of course, the problem with that is that when we say conspiracy theory, we, we tend to think it's malign. And when we talk about conspiracy theories, we generally assume that they're opposed to an official theory, and so straight away goes to Bacon that particular definition um, that conspiracy theories are, are, are for sinister purposes and are counter to an official theory. Um, and it's all just kind of taken as written. She she basically she ends up saying. Um, in order to distinguish conspiracy theories from accounts involving conspiracies, we can merge Cody's two definitions, one which focuses on the element of conspiracy, the other on counter-narratives. Combining this gives us a conspiracy theory is a proposed explanation of events contrary to an officially sanctioned alternative involving the causal agency of a group of agents working together in secret, often or usually for a sinister purpose. And she doesn't, doesn't really go into why we need to distinguish conspiracy theories from accounts involving conspiracies, but it just seems to be kind of taken as read if you, if you go for the, the, uh, the, 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 the kind of, uh, not Socratic, Aristotelian, here's what we say when we talk about conspiracy theories thing. Now, I always have a bit of an issue with any definition which uses what we might take to be a weasel word like often or usually. So, because here's my definition, and sometimes it applies to this thing, and sometimes it applies to that thing. These are words that often make it very difficult to work out whether we're looking at an exceptional case or an ordinary case. And, you know, I don't even think it needs the the the, the, the Cody additions anyway, because it's the... Um, it's the explanation of, of uh, historical facts part of it that um, she's really, really most interested in. So adding those extra little things on it, I don't think it really adds much anyway. But at any rate, um, after the, after the um, uh, definitions, 
uh, Susan Feldman. I don't know. Should I? Is, is she a Dr. Feldman? Is she a professor? I've got that problem again. It never seems to give titles. Well, I mean, I am. Things, I am so. assuming it's Dr. Fe- Feldman. Just do the whole Fe- Fe- Feldman claims. Just yeah, but then let's, I think let's, let's work with the whole, the whole last name thing. Then I assume I'm discussing a paper that's been written by uh, dead British comedian Marty Feldman, and that's just gonna. That's just going to really throw me off my game. But anyway. Uh, we'll, we'll get to his contribution to conspiracy theory later on in the series. Yeah. At any rate, uh, the name uh, Michael Barkin comes up in the paper at this point. Now, this is another name that I don't think we've heard before. Who is Michael Barkin and why would Feldman be introducing him at this point? So he's a political scientist at Syracuse University. He wrote a very popular book, A Culture of Conspiracy, Apocalyptic Visions in Contemporary America. I believe it's into its second edition now. And in 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 it, there is a taxonomy of conspiracy theory. He's gone. Oh, you're back. You're back. Yep, that was just a quick little one. Yep. I'll just put a little sound effect in here. In his book, he has a taxonomy, and in in his taxonomy, he distinguishes between basically a whole set of different types of conspiracy theories, event conspiracy theories, systemic conspiracy theories, and super conspiracies, which should also be super conspiracy theories. And he uses this to kind of diagnose the problem with particular types of conspiracy theory, which is, I think, why Feldman uses it here. Because Bakun uses his taxonomy to make kind of claims that certain conspiracy theories are sensible and certain conspiracy theories are insensible and that they, they make grandiose claims which just cannot be substantiated by any kind of evidence. They're too big and they're too grand. The problem with Bakun is that it's kind of built into his discussion of conspiracy theories that conspiracy theories are irrational because he takes it that conspiracy theories are the product of a conspiracist worldview. And he takes it that a conspiracist worldview implies a universe governed by design rather than by randomness. The emphasis on design manifests itself in three principles found virtually in every conspiracy theory. Point the first, nothing happens by accident. Point the second, nothing is as it seems. And point the third, everything is connected. So he takes it, if you believe conspiracy theories, you suffer from a conspiracist worldview, and people who suffer from a conspiracist worldview believe that everything happens for a reason and all events in the world are connected. Which is why I've kind of taken again Bakun and his typology. It builds in the assumption that conspiracy theories are irrational. And I think it's problematic to start from that starting point because it does kind of affect everything you do analytically afterwards. Mm. And I think the assumption that conspiracy theories come from a conspiracist worldview doesn't really seem to be borne out by what we see a lot. People will latch on to a single conspiracy theory, and maybe even if the logical implication of that conspiracy theory, when you really look at it, is that, yes, maybe the entire world is is, is a grand conspiracy, but they certainly don't seem to think that way. You know, that your, 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 your anti-vaxxers or what have you, um, a great many of them, I don't think, 
believe that Freemasons run the country and lizard people and, and Illuminati and New World Orders and what have you. They've just got this one conspiracy theory. And, and yeah, maybe if you really forced them to tease it out, they, they, they would have to concede that there are, you know, large powers at work or something. But, but just in and of themselves, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that they would say, certainly, that they hold a conspiracist worldview. But um, at any rate, Bakun says that, and Feldman's following his definitions, uh, which are good because, as you say, one of the things he distinguishes between is event conspiracy theories and systemic conspiracy theories that assert the existence of act- sorry the existence and activities of hidden, powerful, long-term, and often vast networks of conspirators whose agents and activities can be responsible for much of world history. Um, so looking at this, uh, Feldman says, Bakun's taxonomy allows us to see that some conspiracy theories are not explanatory. However, there are some non-explanatory conspiracy theories which do not fit the systemic pattern. These non-explanatory theories assert counterfacts. They claim facts which run contrary to accepted and authorized beliefs and maintain that knowledge of these counterfacts is suppressed by conspiracy. Let us call these theories counterfact conspiracy theories. The aim of CFCTs is to establish counterfacts and uncover the conspiracy hiding them from general view. As previously noted, CFCTs, like systemic theories, assert hidden facts rather than explain already accepted events. However, the hidden facts that systemic theories assert involve the existence of conspiracies, while counterfact theories invoke conspiracies as a means of hiding counterfacts. And she gives examples at this point of the likes of Obama birther theories, as she said she was going to, and uh, UFO theories as, as examples of people who are asserting that there are these facts that are, that are counter to what we believe. We, we you know, uh, uh, mainstream society believes that UFOs and aliens probably don't exist, and but these theories are saying actually no, ca- counter to what you believe, uh, aliens do exist and have been visiting Earth, and there's evidence of it. And you may believe that Barack Obama is um, uh, eligible or was. I suppose, eligible to become president of the United States. But actually, we, the, this, this theory is introducing these counterfacts that, no, no, it turns out that he was ineligible. Um, and then the conspiracy, conspiracy theories come in as to how um, to, 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 dare I say it, explain uh, why these counterfacts are, um, are, not, are not the commonly accepted facts. So... My question here is, aren't these just conspiracy theories about claims of disinformation? Why are we using this weird term, counterfact, when there's an existing term which is, you believe a large amount of disinformation in the world, you are disinformed. The reality is. Why talk about counterfacts rather than talk about disinformation? Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I I think... As we'll see as we go through this, my problem with it, and I assume yours as well, is that this seems to be a distinction that doesn't really need to be made, and there isn't a lot to to be gained by making it. But um, let's let, let let's see as we carry on through it. Um, Based on this definition, Feldman says that this provides us with a rough two-step schema typical of any counterfact conspiracy theory. One, assertion of counterfacts, and two, invocation of a cover-up conspiracy. There is some explanation. The conspiracy clause two explains the suppression of the asserted counterfacts in one. In this case, it explains how this alien non-native-born other, still referring to the Obama birther theories, was able to trick the American people into believing he was eligible to be president. Unlike an explanatory theory, however, the primary purpose of the counterfact theory is not to explain, but to put forward the counterfacts. And then she 
um, compares this to, say, 9-11 truth theories, because obviously it's it's still 2011. There's no getting away from 9-11 in conspiracy theory uh, literature. Uh, so com- com- compares it with that case where she says that the, the, the point is that or the difference is that there is an accepted fact that the theories are providing an alternative explanation for. So she says um, 9-11 truth explanations uh, provide alternative casual explanations of the destruction. In contrast, the Bertha conspiracy view interjects into public discourse its own set of counterfacts and acknowledges no uncontested facts relevant to the issue. Which, I mean, already is starting to seem a little bit murky and almost sort of just on that definition of it, it, it kind of sounds a little bit like it's not so much you've got a different kind of conspiracy theory, it's you've got, you, you've got a theory which has a conspiracy theory as part of it. The, the, the conspiracy theory bit is, is explaining the counterfacty stuff, but the counterfacty stuff isn't necessarily the conspiracy theory itself. I find her examples here to be very confounding because I'm not actually seeing a salient difference between 9-11 conspiracy theories and Obama birther conspiracy theories. Her claim is that somehow people who believe in any account of 9-11 have some kind of shared factual basis and disagree only on some details, whilst people who believe in the birther hypothesis have to believe contrary to what non-birthers believe. And yet... I think it's all a matter of description. It is true that to a very large extent, 9-11 conspiracy theorists, whether they are truthers or outside job hypothesis holders, agree about a certain number of facts of that day, i.e. the event occurred on September the 11th, the event occurred in New York City, there was an attack upon the World Trade Center buildings, And then the difference there is exactly what you think the mechanism for the destruction of those buildings were and who you thought was responsible. In the same respect, if you're a birther, there's actually an awful lot that you agree with with respect to non-birthers. This person called Barack Obama was elected to be president on a particular day. They were inaugurated on another day. It seems that you share a whole bunch of facts there. And once again, the disagreement is about mechanisms and who is really responsible. So I just don't see how there is a salient difference between the example of an explanatory conspiracy theory she's really keen upon, which is 9-11 conspiracy theories, and these counterfact theories, the birth of hypotheses, which don't seem to be all that different from 9-11 truth theories, truth be told. Yeah, I mean, I, there's, it, it feels like there's a difference. I don't know if that means there actually is one. It, it's possibly a difference of, of emphasis more than actual substance. I don't know. I mean, like in, in the case of 9-11, I think what you're sort of saying is there is this event and then people went out of their way to to determine an official version of what caused that event. And then along comes the conspiracy theory opposing that official explanation of events. Whereas in the case of Obama, there wasn't an investigation into how Obama became president. He just did. And then people are coming along afterwards and and not, uh, and, and saying, well, actually he probably shouldn't have because of these reasons. Now, I don't know if that's actually 
a relevant difference in terms of how you define conspiracy theories, because when the actual conspiracy theories come in, they are still pretty much explanatory. It's explaining how we could have been taken in by this person who wasn't actually eligible to become president and how he could have been put in that, in that position in the first place. So in terms of the actual conspiracy theory stuff, I don't know if it makes a difference, but possibly it, it seemed like there's a feeling that there's a difference. Maybe there isn't, but possibly yeah, that's see, where she's again, coming from. I think that feeling depends on how you describe mm. the event, because you might go, look, one reason why people have conspiracy theories about 9-11 is the feeling, how could America, the superpower, be attacked on its mainland? In the same respect, you might go, look, how can America, a largely white supremacist, white nationalist nation, allow a black man to be elected president? And once you describe the two conspiracy theories with that particular type of motivating question, then I think you end up going, well, actually, both of them are about trying to explain why an extraordinary event occurred, which means I think the difference is what's the motivating question that brings you to the allegation of conspiracy? And I just don't see that there's a salient difference when you ask yeah. the question in that way. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do I do, th- I, I do, think, I mean, I agree with you there, and I do think that it, a lot of it's just sort of how you choose to present these certain conspiracy theories. And actually, at this point in the paper, having read, I'm not sure, did we? I, I think we might have skipped over this in our discussion just now. She actually puts forward her, her, her specific definition of what a counterfeit conspiracy theory is, is a CFCT is a counter-narrative account about a significant portion of reality asserting counterfacts, knowledge of which has been suppressed by a conspiracy of powerful actors, usually for their own sinister purposes. And as you sort of got towards this definition, I started thinking, well, hang on, there's, as you've described them, counterfeit conspiracy theories do do a bit of explaining, and explanatory conspiracy theories do offer some alternative facts. Um, uh, but Feldman addresses this point herself straight away. She does say, in practice, it may be hard to draw clear lines between ECTs and CFCTs, since the latter do provide some explanation and the former do put forward some counterfacts. But um, she goes on to say that while actual theories might contain elements of both, there's a clear contrast between idealized ECTs and CFCTs. I'm just going to, I find it harder to read. It's easier to write, easier to read down, but actually saying it out, I think it's, I think the acronyms are a little more clumsy. So I'm just going to let go over them. The purpose of an explanatory conspiracy theory is explanation of a significant event, but that of the counterfact conspiracy theory is assertion of counterfacts. Counterfact conspiracy theory is the explanatory role played by invoking the conspiracy is generally confined to the suppression of the counterfacts, while conspiracy is a critical part of the explanation of uncontested facts about events for explanatory conspiracy theories. And yeah, again, it sort of it sort of kind of feels like this counterfact phenomenon she's talking of is possibly a bigger thing, part of which involves a conspiracy theory that explains why why we don't all believe these these alternative facts, but it's not. Uh, it's 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 not a separate species of conspiracy theory. It's conspiracy theory that happens to be applied to a particular kind of claim, perhaps. Yeah, I'm still your... I'm still mm. not buying that distinction. I'm just not buying mm. it at all. Well, she tries to to uh, distinguish between them also by going on to say um, to look at 
what she claims are differences between how the two different kinds of theories, how explanatory conspiracy theories and how counterfactual conspiracy theories develop differently as people start to challenge them. And she says that yeah, um, explanatory conspiracy theories will develop uh, as people challenge their, their, the, 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 the validity of this theory, they will continue to attack the official theory um and 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 show that the official theory is inadequate to explain these events which is why their explanatory conspiracy theory is the right one whereas a counterfactual conspiracy theory when challenged will attack these accepted facts and then the evidence that pr- that's presented to um to, to to try and prove the the accepted version of facts and then that usually ends up by attacking the evidence of that evidence and the evidence of that evidence and so on and so on um, and so she uh, goes back to more examples. Um, Bertha's UFO theorists, and then throws Holocaust deniers into the mix as well. Um, and in all all three of those cases, she says thinks that what <clears throat> characterizes them uh, is is basically a refusal to accept evidence um, that goes contrary to the counterfacts that they're trying to uh, put forwards. So she says that uh, in the case of Bertha's. Documents are dismissed as doctored or forged, experts trashed as participants in the conspiracy, normal standards and methods of proof are found inadequate, though quite lenient standards are used to support the counterfact claims. And I would say there's at least some 9-11 truthers, I'm not going to get into the weeds of particular 9-11 truth hypotheses, but there are at least some 9-11 truthers who are doing exactly the same thing as well. And yet her benchmark for an ECT is nine is a nine eleven truth hypothesis, and yet I would be able to show you that there are at least some truthers who dismiss documents as as doctored or forged, are going around trashing experts in who and claiming they're involved in the conspiracy, and then using strange standards and methods of proof, such as going, well, you know, a jury would convict on this case. Yeah, but it's a scientific standard here. We're not using jury standards here. So once again, I'm just not seeing the distinction. Well, yes. Um, she does, though, go on to talk about Holocaust deniers doing something similar in that she says... Deniers dispute witness statements as deliberate lies or inadvertent error, challenge historical documents as faked, tampered with, or insufficient as evidence. Physical evidence, such as the dimensions of piles of bodies and of gas chambers, is analysed to support the denier's contention. Documents and photographs are scrutinised to demonstrate forgery or tampering. Notably, evidence in support of denialists is not subject to such scrutiny and standards of proof. And that does seem to be one of the things she comes back to a few times, the idea that they... um, the, the conspiracy theorists don't subject their own side to nearly as much scrutiny um, as as what they're attacking. And again, that's something we've seen all sort you know all over the place in all sorts of conspiracy theories and does not seem to be unique um, to counterfactual conspiracy theories at all. And also notably is also a feature we find with defenders of official theories. When you take it, there's a distinction between conspiracy theories and official theories. Theories, holders of official theories will end up doing the same thing as well. Mm. So not only is there, I don't think there's a distinction here between ECTs and CFCTs, I don't think the distinctions that she's putting forward are particularly useful for distinguishing between conspiracy theories and non-conspiracy theories. Mm. So she goes on to sort of show that this this tactic of, of attacking sort of the evidence and then the evidence for the evidence and the evidence for the evidence for the evidence 
could be applied to literally any fact at all. Um, she you know, says something as basic as the cat is on the mat. If you were really determined to, you could just keep, keep, um, keep refusing to accept that fact and any evidence for that fact and, and possibly end up offering explanations for why people want you to believe that the cat is on the mat when in fact it isn't and so on and so forth. Um, and says that, this, that you know, because this, this chain of reasoning um, could be applied to anything uh, and doesn't really get you anywhere, um, she says, this leaves less room for reasoned exchange with counterfeit conspiracy theory proponents than with explanatory conspiracy theory proponents. While explanatory conspiracy theory proponents accept as factual generally recognized facts, counterfeit conspiracy theory proponents do not within the domain of their topic. The overlap of accepted facts by explanatory conspiracy theories allows for genuine argument about explanatory adequacy of those facts. Counterfact conspiracy theory proponents, however, typically present a set of counterfacts at odds with generally accepted facts, though they accept similar facts on similar evidence in domains they do not contest. They cannot thus claim to be using different incommensurable standards of evidence since they are not doing so across the board. Um... And once again, yeah, I think I'm pretty pretty sure lots of conspiracy theories do that, and it's not not at all um, specific to ones that are proposing counterfacts, or at least a whole lot of explanatory conspiracies do prevent do present alternative facts as part of the theory, um, and and then end up doing these these exact same sorts of things. Um, and then she rounds off by saying, because most of the facts that counterfeit conspiracy theory proponents accept outside the contested domain are the same as those held by ordinary believers, the conspiracy, uh, sorry, the counterfeit conspiracy theory could not be part of an incommensurable worldview. Incommensurability would rule out overlap of this extent. And this is and the point where I go, yes. I think, I think that the distinction she's trying to make really does evaporate here because she seems to be both saying, look, there's going to be some overlap between these theories, and there's also not going to be much overlap at all. And yet I take it that if you are a birther, then once again, you agree that Barack Obama, whether or not he was legitimately, was elected to the presidency on a particular date and inaugurated on another date. And that seems to be a salient set of facts that people who are birthers and non-birthers are going to agree to. Unless, of course, you're a birther who believes that actually the entire election and inauguration was some kind of hologrammatic thing foisted upon the people. So I'm not quite sure where the incommensurability actually lies in this account. It seems to be it must be stuff which is salient to the conspiracy theory. But once it becomes salient to the conspiracy theory... You seem to be offering explanations as to why people believe one thing or another thing, at which point, once again, we're talking about ECTs and not CFCTs. So I'm just not mm. seeing this distinction as being a live one at all. No. Well, uh, furthering her, her argument, she, she leads from this to say, conspiracy theorizing does not point to possession of an incommensurable worldview, but does suggest possession of defective epistemic character. Uh, she says, epistemic virtues are traits of good cognitive character and include, for example, open-mindedness, dealing fairly and honestly with evidence, and using responsible or reliable methods of evidence gathering and reasoning. 
In their reasoning schema, we find dogmatic refusal to entertain counter-evidence by unfair and dishonest deployment of evidence and standards, fallacious and unreliable reasoning, and closed-mindedness. This is not irrationality, but epistemic vice. Now, I just um, want to note, it is interesting there you went traits and not trays. Yeah? What does some... Is, is, is there a... Is there a... Uh, Standard pronunciation? I've always seen I think it entirely yes, depends it, yes, on the academic discipline you belong to. So when I was doing anthropology, it was always traits. When I was doing philosophy, it was always traits. And I just mm. find it really, really fascinating that depending on who you're talking to, they pronounce the same word in a radically different way. Where's the T gone in traits, Josh? Where's the T? It's, it's just gone away. It's disappeared. They they don't want you to know where the tea has gone. And you mean hey don't want you to know? That's it's, uh, you're blowing my mind. Stop it. Stop it because we've actually reached the conclusion um, of this paper. The the concluding paragraph reads as follows. Diagnosing a theory as a counterfact theory goes a significant distance in suggesting the futility in engaging the theory as evidence-based, and indeed presumptively supports assessing it and its proponents systemically defective. Epistemic evaluation might be beside the point, however, when dealing with counterfact conspiracy theory proponents. Epistemic considerations relate to the way beliefs connect to evidence and at least indirectly truth or likelihood of truth. While counterfact theorists purport truth, perhaps the kind of truth we should take them to mean is not factual but expressive. The theory is quote-unquote true because it expresses a deeply held worldview, a subjective set of connected associations, values, and meanings. It's possible to take notice of the expressive truth of the theory without engaging in futile exchanges about facts and counterfacts. The point of engaging such theorists is therapeutic rather than epistemic. By engaging sincere counterfact theorists on their underlying expressive truth, perhaps the roots of their views can be exposed, allowing them the opportunity to understand what they're expressing through their views, and allowing outsiders to understand the meanings and values roiling in the body politic. Um, which, again, kind of sounds like it could apply to just about any conspiracy theory. It does seem like in, in, in many cases in, of explanatory conspiracy theories, people are sort of expressing expressing their worldview. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my, my, my overall impression, I, I thought, I don't know, it, it felt like there was an interesting point or two in there, but I don't know that they were points that justified uh, diagnosing an entirely new kind of conspiracy theory. The, the distinction between the explanatory and, and uh, counterfact conspiracy theories didn't really seem to work, and it really, I mean, it, it certainly feels like you you could, if you wanted, fold one into the other. You could say that counterfeit conspiracy theories are sort of a kind of explanatory ones, where this the bit of explanation is uh, uh, this bit of assertion is is lumped in with the explanation. Or conversely, you could say that um, go the other way and say that that explanatory theories they're just this kind of theory that happens to place more emphasis on the explanatory side of things. But in both cases, you end up just talking about conspiracy theories. Um, the the, the um, it's an interesting angle to look at them, but I don't, I don't see that it's actually doing what she think it does, thinks it's doing, and in, in, in carving off a whole new kind of conspiracy theory. And, and I mean, it seems like the the whole, um, the whole purpose of the exercise is what we've seen in a lot of a lot of the earlier papers of people trying to say, okay, but this kind of conspiracy theory, this kind is the kind that you can you can actually disregard. And I do appreciate the fact that she. It, 
at least concludes by saying this kind of conspiracy theory is probably not epistemically virtuous rather than straight out saying this kind of conspiracy theory is irrational to hold full stop. I think I thought that was good. Um, but as we've seen in a lot of other cases, it, it, it doesn't really doesn't doesn't really work out this attempt to to try and mark out a particular kind of conspiracy theories um, as ones you can disregard or at least be suspicious of straight away. Um, and it did though remind me a little bit. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm. I might have even just been getting myself a little bit confused. But the idea of talking about. Um, epistemic vice and virtue rather than rationality or irrationality reminded me of some of the other conclusions people have come to. I'm not, possibly I'm just confusing myself with the pragmatic rejection business we talked about before. It sounded a little bit like she was saying you could pragmatically reject these ones, even if you're not um, doing so in, in terms of pure rationality. But um, Well, you also, I mean, it, it, is, it is of a feather with Sunstein and Vermeule and their idea of, in quotes, the crippled epistemology of conspiracy theorists. And we'll see a similar kind of conclusion with the work of Kassam Qasim, who we'll be talking about some, at some point in the future, who also takes an epistemic vice approach to diagnosing the problem of conspiracy theory. So it is something which has come up in the past, and it definitely will come up again in the future. My worry with this paper is that it seems she's going, look, some conspiracy theories simply disagree about conclusions. So we have some evidence and people then disagree as to how we get to the conclusion. Was it a conspiracy? Was it a non-conspiracy? Some conspiracy theories also add in, there's also disinformation out there, information which is designed to distract you from the right reasoning to get to the conclusion you ought to believe. And she's taking it that these conspiracy theories which invoke disinformation are separate from standard explanatory conspiracy theories, and also it's a vice to suggest disinformation is out there in the world. And that seems like a problem because we know disinformation is out there in the world. We know it's been used to cover up conspiracies in the past. So going, look, it's, it's, it's a vice to suggest that disinformation is out there kind of ignores the fact that it is out there. And this just seems like a very bad recommendation, given what we actually know about our political cultures. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can sort of understand why why you might start down this track. I mean, the, the paper itself starts with Keeley's definition, a proposed explanation of some historical event or events in terms of the significant causal agency of conspirators, blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, yeah, I, I, it, 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 it is an interesting point to say, well, hang on, an explanation of historical events, well, what about your Holocaust deniers? They're not offering an alternate explanation for the Holocaust. They're saying that it didn't happen at all. And that, that, that does seem a little bit at odds with it, although... Uh, possibly when you really look at it, I mean, the conspiracy theory side of it is explaining historical events, the history of why we have these beliefs that we have. So it's a little bit, um, it's 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 not as immediately obvious in the way that 9-11 stuff is where we're, we're um, explaining the destruction of the, the World Trade Center towers. Um, 
and that's kind of stated right up front, whereas the Holocaust deniers will be talking about the Holocaust never happened and the historically explaining stuff is kind of implied. Um, so, yeah, I, but yeah, I, I think maybe it, there's a difference of, of emphasis perhaps or in the same way or at least analogous to who was it who was talking just recently about certain things pointing out salience rather than, you know, the, the, the whole benevolent uh, benevolent versus malignant thing is pointing out salient conspiracy theories, but without actually being a definition of conspiracy theory and so on. I believe that and was Lee in, pra- in that was the Lee. pragmatic yeah. rejection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I've, we, we've, we've been over too many of these papers now, and they're starting to blur a little for me, and I'm forgetting where I've heard things before in the past. But it seemed possibly analogous to something like that. It's pointing out an interesting feature of them, but not an interesting feature that's actually a, that, that, that defines them, perhaps. And that is all I have to say. And that's all I have to say as well. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, we, we keep saying interesting, and I'm going to say it again, an interesting paper. I don't really agree with kind of where a lot of it goes but it did did it 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 got me thinking not wanting to sound patronizing or anything it genuine genuinely did and i do appreciate a paper that 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 keeps things short and to the point well we won't have many of those in future oh lovely anyway so that's the end of 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 this uh installment of conspiracy theory masterpiece theater we're going to say goodbye to you shortly but if you're a patron we're going to say hello again to you very very shortly after that um as we record our bonus episode, and um, this time we've got, it's 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 not a news roundup for once, uh, but it is a listicle. What are we looking at? We are looking at ten things you're not supposed to know. Mm. I, 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 should, want... I, I should have made that into a, a a ten things I don't like about you joke or some kind of Heath Ledger reference. Ten things mm. you're not supposed to know about how I hate you. I have no idea how this is going to work. No, no, probably wouldn't have. Yes, you didn't. Um, but yes, if, if you want to know what these 10 things you're not supposed to know are, uh, then stay tuned 10 for things the... you would hate to find out about. There we go. That's what it should have been. 10 uh, things you'd close. hate to find out about. Something like that, yes. Save that for the title when you when you publish it. Um, I'll, I'll have forgotten these about ten... that in 10 minutes' time. Oh, well. As for what these 10 things are, only our patrons will know. And if you are a patron, good luck to you. But if you're not a patron, all is not lost because you can become one by going to Patreon and searching for the podcasters to the uh, guide to the conspiracy and signing yourself up. And if you do, that would be just peachy because it lets us it pay was. for things like like recording gear and podcast service hosting and all of that business. And Josh is um, going to need a new microphone, sir. I am going to need a new microphone, yes. In, in, in events totally irrelevant to the recording of this podcast, I am going to be changing jobs soon. And the microphone um, I have been using up until now is one is, is actually part of my work gear that I use for recording stuff at work. So I'll be, I'll be handing that one back. Um, and yes, grabbing, grabbing us a new one. Yep. Josh uh, has been but, showing a middle finger to the man by using his work equipment for his hobbies. Mm, yep, probably shouldn't have said that, but then, well, what are they going to do, fire me? Um, now, if you're uh, not wanting to become a patron, well, I mean, that's just fine, really. Uh, you've listened this far, so so bless you all the same. Um, but but patron and non-patron alike right now, I think uh, you're both going to simply hear me saying goodbye. I like the impression you said there are, you've just implied there are two patrons. You both, 
the two of you, about to hear no, just patrons goodbye. and non-patrons both. And for me Being to right. go, I actually don't have a Marty Feldman reference to make, apart from Abby Normal. Hmm. The podcaster's guide to the conspiracy is Josh Addison and me, Dr. MRX Dentist. You can contact us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider supporting the podcast via our Patreon. And remember, the truth is out there, but not quite where you think you left it.